It's great to see you all here, both those who are present and those who are online. Let's please go to God in prayer. Our righteous Heavenly Father, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory, and we're so thankful to be able to be here tonight to look at your word. We ask, Lord God, as we look into your word and study that you would grant to us understanding, wisdom, and knowledge, and bless us, Lord God, in all that we say and do. Thank you for your great blessings and for your goodness. Thank you for your darling son in whom you sent to die on that cruel cross of Calvary. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray to be that will. Amen. Leviticus chapter 19 is where we're going tonight. So we've been looking at types and antitypes, right? The Old Testament, again, can be summarized as a type. And the New Testament is the antitype or that which is revealed, right? So I want to look at a verse. We, we talked about Leviticus. Who likes reading the book of Leviticus? And um, sometimes it's tough to get through it. I want to look at verse 19. I want to highlight this verse. It's a very key verse to um, both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, the context, if you will. All Leviticus 19, the context is very key. Okay, verse 19. You are to keep my statutes. You shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Nor wear a garment upon you of two kinds of material mixed together. And so, literally, you read that verse and you say, Oh, wait a minute. So God wants things to be separated, right? But the context tells us, there's a lot more to it than that. It's something that God was trying to teach Israel. So the passage itself does something. It forces the, the mind, the reader of that time, toward the idea of cleanness, right? Cleanliness, cleanness, holiness, not mixing uh, godliness with wickedness or good with evil. And so the physical reminder... Uh, engages the mind of the uh, the reader. These are agriculturalists. So can you imagine? Every day they're dealing with seeds. They're dealing with garments. They're dealing with this every day. So it forces the reader to think about every day the separation that is necessary to sustain um, righteousness or keeping of God's commandments. So contextually what God is saying to them, and we're going to look at the context in a second, Don't be like the world. That's actually what he's saying in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 19. And he's showing the the Israelites through this this physical separation, really what it means, if you will, of how to treat other people through the context. So let's grab the context. We'll go all the way back to verse 9. So I mentioned this several times. You'll hear me say this. Jesus did this and it was uh, okay because it was a sundry law. Right? So the sundry laws are really important. Those are the laws of, um, I don't even know what else to, uh, to call them, but they're the laws of exception, if you want to call it that. The exception to the rule. Maybe you could say that. They're the, the laws that God gave that, um, that deal with mercy. Right? So there are, there are laws that, that God is very strict and very stringent. This is my rule. This is my law. This is how you do this, except in this case, you're allowed to do something different, like eating on the Sabbath day, uh, working on the Sabbath day, etc. All right, but I want to grab the context of these sundry laws. So verse 9, 
Let's think about what God is really, what is God saying? Okay, in verse 19, we'll find it in verses 9 and following. Now, when you reap the harvest of your, your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your, vi- your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So what is God saying? Think about that. What is God saying? I don't want anyone to be in need in your community. Right? I don't care if it's a visitor, if it's, a, if it's an Israelite, you will show them kindness and you will show them mercy and you will feed the poor. How? If you go and you're, you're pulling apples off of your apple tree and while you're in the process of grabbing one or two and say three or four fall, you leave those that have fallen, and anyone that's passing by that sees that fruit, they're allowed to have that. It's theirs. You will not charge them for it. You, you cannot tell them no to leave it. You are not even allowed to reach over and pick it up. You leave it for those who are hungry so they have something to eat. That's nice, isn't it? That's nice, right? So God is forcing them to, again, agriculturalists, right? Every, everything that comes off of these vines and uh, in these fields and, and these trees, uh, this is important to them, to their, to their livelihood. But who are they supposed to trust in? God, right? To make that tree blossom, to uh, cause these events to happen in a positive way. Okay, in fact, look quickly at Ruth. Remember in Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, Verse 2 and verse 3, the whole account about, you know, Ruth and Boaz to, to Jesus all has its beginnings right here in the field, right? It's all in the field. All right. Ruth 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one of whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Ahimelech. So, wow, wait, you know what happened, right? He, he started saying, Boaz started saying, Hey, throw some extra stuff down for her. You know, leave, leave a little bit more so she can pick it up. And so there began the, the relationship between Boaz and and um, and Ruth, and then ultimately bringing forth Jesus Christ, right? So back to Leviticus chapter 19. So God's first law, you will provide for the poor, and you'll make sure that you leave your fields completely um, um, available or open to anyone that is passing through. Verse 11, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. It's interesting that, that this is in the, under the Ten Commandments, but it's also found under the sundry law, the law of mercy. You know, so the question then, if it's a law of mercy, uh, then what is God saying? Well, how would you feel or how do you feel? Or have, how have you felt when someone's lied to you or, or cheated you or, or done some kind of evil to you? How'd that make you feel? So God says, look, don't do that to anyone else. So verse 11, we shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another. 
and you should not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So now it goes one step further. How do you think God's going to feel, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat God the way you want God to treat you, right? Be, be kind even to God, if you will. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. So here's this honest dealings. Be honest in all of your dealings in life. All right, let's keep going. Verse 14, you shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. And so now we get into the acts of kindness. Don't be that disgusting person who does these things. No, you always demonstrate acts of kindness and, and be like God, right? Do what God would do. Be like God. The very next verse, verse uh, 15 and 16. You shall do no injustice. In judgment, you shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So justice, truthfulness must, must be displayed among God's people. And then verse 17 and verse 18, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And you see where it gets to. It's like it's, it's climbing this ladder and it's saying, do this and then do that. Be this kind of man. Be that kind of man. This is how you're supposed to live your life in Jesus. Remain unspotted and un unblemished. Don't be like the world. Treat your neighbor as you want to be treated. So he gave all these physical laws, right? He's going through every one of them step by step by step by step. And then he gets into verse 19, back there again. You are to keep my statutes. You shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear garments upon you, or two kinds of material mixed together. And then he starts going into all the, the, the moral or immoral acts of humanity. And he's saying, you got to be holy. And in order to do that, you have to be unstained from the world. You have to be separated from the world. And that's the main point of Leviticus chapter 19 is to be separate from the world. So he's going to deal with idolatry and, and all the other wickedness, uh, wickedness and sins that go on throughout the world. He's going to deal with every single one of them. He says, don't be like them. Be different. Like the separating of the seed and the garment, you too be separate. Because they're doing things that the world aren't. The gleanings, leaving the food for the poor. They're, they're making sure they're not liars or bearing false witness. They're, they're ensuring that uh, they're treating their fellow man as they would like to be treated. And that's what God expects of them. And you know what ruins that? What is it that, um, that challenges being good? Well, you might say evil, right? Obviously. How about being around evil people who cause me to be evil because of my own weakness? Right? So it's like one of those things, if, if, um, if there's someone that's bringing a weakness into my life, spiritually speaking, what should I do? Separate myself, right? How many of us do that? I know it's tough sometimes, but 
How many of us do that? You should not be like that. You should be the opposite of that. And then you'd say, well, how can I help them to come to Christ? Well, before you separate, you tell them why you're separating. Right? You say, you know, I just, I just you're, the way you, the way you speak, um, your words are starting to, starting to, to, to penetrate my mind. I'm, I'm finding I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And I just can't have you talking like that around me. And if you're going to continue to speak in that way, I'm going to have to distance myself from you. Or the way you're living, or whatever it may be. And you, may, and you might preface that, but I know I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that I am, but I'm really trying to be godly, and I'm, I'm finding I'm pretty weak in this area. You know, you find a way to kindly present that message to them. And what's amazing is, you'll find that most people who value you or see you as important will change. They'll say, well, when I, at least in front of you, right? They'll say, oh, I, I'll never do that. But here's, here's the greater part of that. The greater part of that is, uh, I'll bet you if I went to, uh, to Mr. Park's office, I'll bet you no one in that office is making those kinds of sounds. Right? I'll bet you that. And I'll bet you that the way you carry yourself when, when you're around certain people, you're sitting at your office, I'll bet you people aren't talking like that around you because of the way you carry yourself. And if they are, it may not be a reflection of you, but then again, it might be. Right? It, might, it just might be. So you might talk to those people and say, you know, I'm really trying to to do the right thing, and I'm really struggling with, with language. And I'm, if you could help me out, I'd appreciate it if. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 7. So now you think about the sundry laws, and, and you realize that uh, in the sundry laws, God is trying to teach uh, a very valuable lesson. And here is the summation, if you will, um, of the entire Old Testament in one verse. Verse 12. Verse 12, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore, however, you want people to treat you, so treat them. This is what we just read. This is the law and the prophets. This is what God was, was trying to teach Israel through the law of Moses over and over and over again. Many repeated things. And then you see people... Um, the kings, and, and, and we're studying the kings now, and how wicked and evil they were, and, and God's punishing them for their wickedness. But if they would just turn to God, the prophets come along, and the prophets are saying, turn your life back to God, and they're not. And they're treating people uh, inhumanely and unjustly and, and wickedly. And the whole point of God's message was, treat people the way that you want to be treated. It's the same message to all the kings and all the prophets, through the prophets, and all the people of Israel, you be different from the world. You stay or remain unstained or unspotted. So he gave them this physically, right, through this physical law, and, and then you could see this um, physical punishment, right? This guy does something horrible to an individual, and God says, okay, you reap what you sow, and so you, you sent the sword out, and yeah, you're going to die by the sword, and you did this, and so now this is going to happen to you. So all of God's commandments now are realized in the New Testament, right? The antitype. Well, we get to see, take it to another level. Now, spiritually speaking, right? Spiritually speaking. In the Old Testament, by the way, if someone led you away from God, what were you supposed to do to them? You killed them. I mean, that's how important this is, right? Like, uh, Exodus, what is it? Exodus 16, I think it is. You cut them off from your people. Um, you know, anyone that breaks the Sabbath day, you, you, you I mean, you, you take their lives, like, wow. Because that's how serious this is. What does God see? 
God sees the evils of idolatry, right? So in comparison to that, it says, okay, I don't want you to fall into the hands of, of Milcom or Molech or uh, Baal or Asherah, these idol gods, because you know what you're going to do? You're going to take these little babies and you're going to start burning them up. And you're going to start killing them physically. Uh, uh, meaning, you're going to throw them into the, the fire. You're going to throw them into the fire den. You're going to, uh, you're going to build them inside of walls. You're alive. You're going to bury babies alive. You're going to do all this evil, this wicked. I don't want you to do that. So stay away from people who act that way and be an example. Okay. So now 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So when you go back and you study uh, all of that wickedness, you, you, know, you know, the homosexuality, the lesbianism inside of the brothels and uh, the Temple of Diana and all the um, uh, prostitution and or, you know, all the things that go on. It's like God says, stay away from that stuff. Bad stuff, right? Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and the verse is 14. Listen to this one. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership have unrighteousness, or excuse me, have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship have light with darkness? Or what harmony has with Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God says. So here, 2 Corinthians 6 is saying the exact same thing. You got to get away from stuff that's messing up your spiritual life with God. And if you don't, it's going to destroy you. We learned that through the Old Testament, right? You saw the physical removal of kings and all the, the you know, structural things that God changed or, or transformed because of wickedness. You got to get away from that kind of environment. Be an example. And what have I said many times over? Be a, be a leader, not a follower. We are leaders and not followers, right? Well, what agreement, verse 16, has the temple of God with idols but we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How beautiful, right? You hear that encouragement? God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm in you. I've, I mean, I've got you. I'm carrying you along, right? And so people say, we love that, um, that poem, Footprints in the Sand. You know, when times are tough, God's carrying me through. And, but God is carrying us through, and he is with us if we choose God, right? Verse 17, therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. How important is that verse? Right? How important is Leviticus 19? Because that's exactly where it's taking us to. It's bringing us right back and forth, if you will, to the idea of God expecting his people to be uniquely different from the world. We're supposed to be. Is there anything wrong with that? Anything at all? No. And this is where, um, these are the scriptures that maybe, I'm not going to say agnostics necessarily, but unbelievers or people who just don't like the Bible read and say, see, you people think you're better than us because you don't want to be, you know, you're judging us because you don't want to be around us and we're doing these kinds of things, et cetera, et cetera. It's nothing to do with that. It's the fact that we're not supposed to be that way. And so, therefore, it's like, um, our, you know, when our, our parents, remembering us growing up, would say, I don't want you playing with, with little Johnny or whomever it is, right? Little Tony, because he's going to lead you astray, <laughs> right? Don't play with that kid, that little boy. He's, good, he's bad news. We tell our children the same thing. 
Why is it wrong that God tells us the exact same thing? Right? So we have to really think about, um, I want to go to 1 Corinthians, please, chapter uh, 10. We have to really think about our relationships in life. The, the type uh, of the Old Testament has shown us God's dealings with people who, who live wickedly. Uh, and then how God's people, think about this, how bad, how, how bad, did, or how wicked, that, how wicked did Israel become? You, you know, you, you read the Old Testament passages and God says, you know, you, you folks are worse than the world. You're, you're worse than the Assyrians and, and the Chaldeans and you're worse than all those people. How, how did they get that way? They, they, they did not separate themselves from the wicked and they themselves were doing the exact same. Manasseh, for example, shed more blood than any other king of Israel. I mean, the guy was a murderer, a mass murderer, right? How did he get that way? Right? The more that we're around evil, I know that we, some, I, you know, I remember thinking this, you know, oh, I'm strong enough, I'll be okay. Yeah, the more you're around evil, the weaker you become. Right? You don't think so. We don't think about it, but it's true, it happens. It, it happens slowly. It's, it's like, um, um, you know, living our lives and, and, and thinking, First uh, Corinthians 10, thinking that we're stronger than we think we are. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, right? And God says, be careful, don't be like that. But he gave us an example, back to the type. How did God deal with them? We used to, younger in my faith, we'd say, you know, God used to zap them in the Old Testament. You know, it was pretty simple. You, you figured it out, you know. A guy goes out, and he does something bad, and then God, boom, and he's dead. You go, okay, don't do that, right? But that's, that's not how God works today. But we can look back at the Old Testament and see how God dealt with the righteous and how God dealt with the unrighteous and, and look at those types and then say, okay, let's bring that into the New Testament in a spiritual way, and let's be different, right? Let's not be like them. All right, so now we're going to look down at verse, um, verse 6. So here's God's example to us. Now, these things happen as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also crave. So there we go. There's an issue. Don't crave bad stuff. Verse 7. And do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Don't be like them. What did God do? Well, you go back and read the account of everything that God did to these people in this time for being this way. His people in particular, by the way. Verse 8, Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Died. <laughs> fell is a nice way of saying it. They died because they were immoral. They were acting immorally, and God told them to stop. And they just looked at God like, whatever. And then God just killed 23,000 people. Oh, okay. Uh, the next one, verse 9. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so you look at that and you go, wow, so much negativity. No, that didn't have to happen. None of that had to happen because the other side of this is Look at how God blessed the people who did good. The people who lived righteously. Look at how blessed they were. Like, wow. You, you and I get to make a choice. You know, do we want to be evil and live in evil, knowing here's what God is telling us and showing us we will not get away with the evil. 
Sometimes um, these people paid the price immediately, and sometimes it was years into their lives before they paid the price for their sin, but they never got away with sin, right? So the same example for us today, in the antitype side, if you will, we will never, ever get away with sin. So where there's sin in our lives, we've got to make it right with God, and we will stand before God on the judgment day. But it doesn't mean we're not going to pay the price in this life as well. So you've got to be right. We have to be right with God. So I want to go back and continue on these uh, types. Um, we are in chapter 15 at this, this point of First Corinthians. And I want to look at how God brought us to the greater good or, or how God lets us see what they couldn't see. Okay? So Adam, the first man, what... You know, what does that mean? Well, okay, he was the first man, and we can build uh, many lessons off of that. But what are you actually seeing when you see the first man? That goes from the type to the antitype. What are we seeing? Here's what we're seeing. Verse 45, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Oh, wait a minute. So when I see Adam, I need to see Jesus, right? The physical Adam got it. But I need to see the spiritual side of it. That God, through Adam, the very first man, was bringing forth to us the Christ. So you have the physical man to the spiritual man, right? Which brought salvation to humanity. Adam is the, the type, right? The first man, he, re- he receives physical life, but he also brought death. <laughs> but Jesus, though he received a physical life, he brought life. He's the opposite, right? He's the opposite. But he's the answer. He's the fulfillment or the, the revelation, what God is bringing forth to us to understand more about the plan or the interworking of God. So when you think about Adam... Um, I think I've mentioned this before, I know I have, uh, where God in his mind, in the spirit world, right, before the beginning, said, as that conversation goes on, let us make man, right? But they also knew, or maybe said, if we make them, we're going to have to die for them. So when God made Adam, God made death and life, right? Because he knew Adam would sin, so he's going to bring the Christ to save Adam. Because Adam would need to be saved. And only Jesus could do it. Only the Godhead. So when you see Adam, you can look now, instead of seeing the physical man and going through genealogy and things of that sort, you can see now the greater plan of God from the very beginning of time. Right? From the very beginning of time. Okay, now, look at verse um, 50, or no, 35. 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body... Do they come? You fool, that which is you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seed a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly 
one, excuse me, is one. The glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun and another glory of the moon. Another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So now, the big question, how do we know that heaven exists? Because there's a natural body. Because Adam was born. Right? God brought Adam to the world, and that is confirmation to any believer that there's heaven. How about that? Isn't that interesting? That you go from the physical to the spiritual? If there is a physical body, there has to be a spiritual body. How do we know God exists? Because of Adam. Because if there's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. Wow. Type to the antitype, right? And so God is teaching us so many things uh, through the physical so that we can gain a good, clear understanding of, of the spiritual. And that's really important. All right. So the type is the physical seed of man or all these things that God spoke of in, in these particular verses. And we're looking for the supreme, though, right? The antitype is the spiritual. Physical to the spiritual. What's more important, the physical or the spiritual? Right? The spiritual, we know that. The physical in reality, the Bible makes it clear, it really doesn't mean much. It's just we're here and we're, we're living and we're, we're going to have aches and pains and suffering and struggles. and It's the physical, right? But there comes the spiritual where there'll be none of that. And that's what we're striving for in the physical. In the physical, we're striving for the spiritual blessing of God. Right? So, in this case here, the, the type is what we'd call finite, right? You know, it's, you, can, you can count it, you can label it, you can, you can see it, but the eternal is infinite. So we're talking about the infinite God. It's, we're looking at, we're going from the physical, all the physical stuff, to the spiritual stuff. Right? All right, next one. 40, verse 45. Verse 45, and I wish we had a microphone, because this is the last class, Lord willing, next, sun, next th- Wednesday right, is um, the last class for this study, and then James will pick over, pick up uh, his class coming up after that. But what I was going to finish that with is, this is the last class that I'm planning on doing from up here. Right, so I'm going to move down there, and we're going to talk, because I don't, personally, I don't like this type of class. I feel like I'm a lecturer, and I don't really want to lecture, but it'll be down there, Lord willing. So prepare to sit in the back, right, well, I'll be back there. We're going to talk because that's what we need to do. And I wish we could do that uh, right now on this. Cause I know I wouldn't be able to hear what you have to say. Well, I've heard about that. So, all right. 45, verse 45. Again, the natural and then the spiritual. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we 
have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the wow, the heavenly. What did Jesus say? You'll see me as I am. And then he says, you'll be like me, right? So we get to leave this physical body and move on to a spiritual body. But the spiritual body doesn't exist on the earth. The earth comes first. Earthy, the earthy body, the flesh. Then comes the spiritual. Christians are always looking toward the what? Spiritual, right? If we're looking toward the physical, we're going to see all the stuff that happens in the physical where Satan has his domain, right? In the physical. Satan has his domain. He has, we have this, um, understanding of of good and evil and we're making these choices some of the choices are good and some of the choices are are bad or wrong or right and and it's all in the flesh but but we're looking forward to the heavenly or the spiritual and and that's where we're supposed to always keep our mind and our eyes so in the old testament leviticus 19 they were always thinking about sowing their seed well don't don't sow this seed with that seed and you got to keep them separate etc etc our minds should work the same way right don't 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 mix up the the role responsibility or the goal or the importance of the spiritual versus the earthy the earthy comes first because we're physical beings but in reality your spiritual soul must be your number one right always focusing on god and god alone he must be number one right our minds have to be focused in the spiritual so the type is the flesh we're living in a type. But then at the same time, we understand also the spiritual, the antitype. We get both. However, on the earth, we can't have heaven. Right? So earth, the earth is what? A type. A dwelling place of God's people. And the heavenly is what? The antitype. We're striving to get there. How do we know the antitype exists? How do we know that heaven exists? Because you're right here on the earth. That's how you know it. When people start doubting whether heaven exists, you're right here on the earth. Touch yourself. This is you. How did you get here? Where do you think you're going? Right? It, there's, a, there's an earthly and there's a spiritual. There's a heavenly. And soon we will all be in the heavenly. And thank God for that. Okay, so Adam um, is the head of the, the natural, and that would be the, the human race. The first man, Adam, right? Every living soul that's ever existed on the earth came from where? Adam, the very first man. We got that. We understand that. So then where does every living soul come from on the other side, the spiritual? Through Jesus, right? It's all through God. It's all through Jesus. And so, again, we're looking and remembering our true heritage uh, and who it is that we are. The spiritual body reigns supreme over the physical body. And you see how it's easy to get that backwards and mixed up? Where the physical body reigns supreme over the spiritual body. You know, I'm thinking about, oh, I have to, I need to eat, I have to eat, so I need to do this and this, like food, and yet, what, what do we really need to eat? Spiritual stuff, right? You need spiritual food every day. You gotta read the Word of God and spend time in prayer, but that doesn't always come first in our minds, does it? What comes first is, well, I need to get up, eat breakfast, and, and I need to, you know, get to work and do this and do that and do this and all the physical. No, wait, slow down. For the Christian, the spiritual comes first. 
first thing I ought to do coming out of that, waking up from uh, my bed of slumber is, thank you, God. All right, here we go, another day. Help me out, I need you. I know Satan's waiting for me, right? And then get on with your day, right? And throughout that day, pray to God. So the, 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 the spiritual body must reign supreme over the, the physical. All right, let's go to John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8. The first man, Adam, is uh, from the earth, and the second man is from heaven. Pretty powerful. Who's more important? (laughs) We know that answer, don't we? John chapter 8 and verse 23. So now he gives us a little more depth. So imagine you're, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, and, and you're hearing him talk. And, and he says, in John 8 and verse uh, 23, he was saying to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Do you think Jesus had it mixed up? Nope. Not one time. He's... He says, I'm, I'm, no, I'm the, I'm the antitype. See, this is your domain, not mine. Wow. And then he gave us an example to follow and says, look, live in the spirit world and you'll be blessed. And he goes through all the blessings and the beatitudes, right? He starts going through all these blessings. You're blessed and you're blessed and you're blessed and you're blessed. And he just starts out his sermon. You're blessed. You're blessed. Do you realize how blessed you are? You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. He just keeps going. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I'm going to fill you. You're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You're blessed. You're blessed. That's what he started his sermon out with. When he first started addressing man, he started off saying, you know how blessed you are? Hmm. I got to start thinking about that a little more often. Then 1 Corinthians 10 said, don't grumble like the rest of them. You know why I grumble, right? I forgot the Sermon on the Mount. I'm blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. I forgot about that. Right? So, Jesus says, I know where I came from. Now, the question for us as God's people is, where are we seeking to end up? Right? The spirit world. Which, which part of the spirit world? Because if there's the, if there's flesh is Adam, we know there's God. We know, if, we know, if we know we have the earth, we know there's heaven. But we also know if there's heaven, there's what? There's hell. Right? So where am I going to end up? You see, and God gave us the choice. He says, it's up to you. You, we get to choose. John chapter 6. We get to decide by the grace of God, right? It's all by the grace of God. We get that. But you, your choices, your decisions in life will determine where you'll be. Well, we know that. We know that from the flesh, right? We know that from the flesh. Okay, John 6, Jesus goes on in his teaching. He says, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so he speaks of his death. They saw the bread come out of heaven, literally. Right, just fell down, and they and they ate it. And but Jesus says, "I am that bread. That that what you needed to sustain yourself, that gave life physically. I am that bread spiritually, right? And so we have all this, all this beauty. We have time. Let's go to Romans, please, chapter five. Romans chapter five. 
So the, the scriptures are, are, I wanted to spend more time, I wanted to really slow down on this, but we, we lost our, our study time last week because of the ice and snow. Uh, but that's, that's all right. God is still blessing us. Okay. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, this is where some people go and believe in um, the fact that you are born a sinner. That is nowhere in the Bible. It's not saying that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it makes it clear when you continue to read uh, these types of passages that the reason we all sin is because we actually, literally, have made the decision to sin, right? Not that we inherit the sin of others. But as Adam died now because of his wickedness and his sin, now that spread to all men because all mankind has uh, been guilty of sin. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. So that shows you don't inherit sin, right? Just there in itself, right? Because we've not sinned in the likeness. If we inherited sin, it will be his sin that we inherited. But we don't inherit his sin. So that in itself, you know, takes that. Anyway, who is a type of him who was to come? Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. Speaking of Adam, right? And Jesus. So Jesus is freedom. Adam is bondage, right? Um, for the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which has come through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from the many transgressions, resulting in justification. So that's a lot, right? Like, okay, so there's, there's so much grace out there. How many of us want it? It's like, it's, a, it's free, and it's, it's there. It's just like there's so much sin, but there's more grace than sin. Do you, do you want it? What are you going to do about that? Uh, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So it all comes back to the one man messed everything up. Right? The second man fixed it all. Isn't that great? Right? The first man, Adam, blew it. Second Adam came and saved us all. Thank you, God, for that, right? All those who we understand that received the uh, gift of salvation through baptism. Uh, and so tonight, we'll end there, and the, the invitation will be yours in a moment that if you're willing to receive that grace, then you, you surrender to God in the waters of baptism, uh, and God will resurrect you. He'll take the old man uh, that is a man of sin, uh, and he'll, he'll resurrect you into a new man. And how beautiful that is by going down to the waters of, of salvation, and, um, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God in us again. God made things right. So Adam messed things up. God made things right again. Thank you for your time tonight. And we'll come back, Lord willing, one more lesson. And, uh, and hold me to that, uh, God willing, that um, the next series, the next quarter, uh, we will not, I will not be up here. We'll be down there. So I look forward, I really look forward to that. But I do ask you that when I come down there, that we talk. That's what Bible study is, right? Thank you again for your time. God bless you.